Warmest greetings. Welcome to a special episode of the SRUC podcast, where we'll be talking to a guest we haven't had on before, and who's going to speak about a topic we haven't covered, aquaculture. You heard me correctly, not agriculture, but aquaculture. A quick definition of aquaculture for the uninitiated. It is the breeding, raising and harvesting of fish, shellfish and aquatic plants. Essentially, it's farming in water. It is one of the fastest growing food producing sectors in the world. Aquaculture has grown in the last 40 years to be an important component of the UK seafood sector, with a production value in excess of £590 million to the UK economy. I'm Sean Cameron, and I'm joined today by Aneta Borlaka, who is a research fellow at SRUC, based in Inverness. Inverness is home to SRUC aquaculture activities, given its proximity to most UK aquaculture businesses. Hello, Aneta. Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you. Aneta has recently been elected to the board of the European Association of Fish Pathologists as a publication officer. She has a very interesting career background and portfolio of current projects that she is currently working on. Aneta, could you take us through how your education and career path led you to where you are today? Uh, sure, Sean. It's always interesting to talk about myself, so I look forward to that. Um, I'm Dutch and I started at uh, Wageningen University in the Netherlands, uh, a university that is uh, somewhat similar to SRUC in a way that they have also life sciences uh, research. Um, mm -hmm. I did animal sciences there uh, for my bachelor and then I specialized in aquaculture and fisheries. And this master was um, a master in which I learned about aquaculture systems, mm -hmm. economics, um, but my, f my focus and interest was always a little bit on fish health, also actually fish welfare. Um, during my master, I spent some time in Vietnam uh, doing research there for about half a year. Okay. And that was very interesting. And that actually rolled into, well, not really rolled into, but because of my experience working there, um, I was then accepted to do a PhD, also led by Wageningen University, but uh, with a lot of field work in Vietnam. So I actually lived there in total for about two and a half years, oh uh, something like that. And um, this PhD was um, aquatic epidemiology. So I was with the veterinary epidemiology group and also with the aquaculture group where I had done my master. And I was looking into trematodes. Um, these are a zoonotic problem in Vietnam. Uh, people eating raw fish um, can get the trematodes and it can cause liver cancer or uh, intestinal cancers. And so I was doing some research and then uh, in transmission between uh, this, this trematode has a life cycle uh, that goes from snails to fish to final hosts like humans. So I was doing transmission experiments between um, snails and fish and also some observational studies. And then I was able to make a mathematical model and calculate some control uh, measures of what, what would be best. A bit similar to what we had in the COVID period. So I worked with the R0, uh, which, uh, which you might remember. Um, so that was very cool. I then moved to Canada to do my first postdoc. Uh, in Canada, on the East Coast, uh, in the smallest province of Canada, uh, Prince Edward Island, there is a vet school where they do a lot of aquatic epidemiology. And I learned a lot there from very good people. So I was very fortunate. And most of that was focused on salmon, but also some of my projects there were still in, in Vietnam and uh, with Asia. Um, 
I then, um, actually my next step was to go, come here to SRUC. So I moved to Scotland, uh, started here, I think as a postdoc, but slowly became my own researcher. And um, I'm doing work on salmon, uh, mainly gill health uh, and also salmon mortality. And also still are doing some, uh, some projects in Asia with uh, warm water fish. Sure. So you've had a proper kind of globe trotting journey then. You've really been everywhere and seen everything. Would you, would you agree with that? Well, there is always more to see, but uh, I've seen a fair bit, definitely. Sure. Okay. So um, in this recent appointment to the European Association of Fish Pathologists, what does that entail? So I'm really honoured, actually, that I was appointed because this is a very, um, I don't know if cool is the right word, but it's a very, uh, a group that I look up towards. Um, Yeah. So they've... Uh, historically always done publications that are very much um, like the first observation of this parasite. So it's it's a place where you find out, basically. And of course, this was historically because nowadays it's a lot more easier. We have the internet and search functions to find uh, publications. Um, so whether you would put it there or whether you would put it else elsewhere, it doesn't really matter as much anymore. But it's, it, yeah. It's a very large group um, of pathologists, fish health people, really not necessarily just pathologists. They, although it says European Association, they are around the world um, and they have branches everywhere. Um, and so I am the publication officer, mm-hmm. uh, which means that I am basically the main editor. I now have a bunch of, or a couple of, um, uh, subject editors, which uh, are which I appoint to if certain uh, uh, new papers come in, and they will then handle them further, and together we make uh, make final decisions. Um, so yeah, by by this appointment, I'm of course able to have some impact on this journal, and there yeah there are challenges of nowadays such as the impact of AI on journals and, and mm-hmm. publications and, and what you, how original is the material that you'll get. And uh, there's the challenge of indexing. So what are the impacts factors and how can we approve that? How can we stabilize that? Mm-hmm. And then there is a lot of pressure from institutions uh, for researchers to publish in um, Q1 journals, which are the quarter ones. So the, the best journals or the highest ranking journals in a certain field. And so how do we make sure that we still, we are, we are currently not that, so we hope to get there, but how do we make sure that people still publish with us and, uh, mm-hmm. and that we, we get enough um, publications? And further on, I'm a member of the board. So if there's decisions to be made in general about the association, um, I'm part of that too. So yeah, it's very exciting. And I suppose in this point in my career, it's something that I can contribute to quite well because as an epidemiologist you can imagine you're doing population health so you're having to deal with bacteria and parasites and viruses mm-hmm. and everything so you end up knowing a lot about a lot but uh, i mean i'm not experts on on viruses or an expert on bacteria but i i know stuff so you can kind of yeah it, it, I think it suits it suits very well to be a main editor uh, and to uh, to look at um, 
as incoming papers that way. So it's very exciting. And then, of course, there are very interesting people that are members of this uh, European Association of Fish Pathologists. So it's it's a great opportunity for networking and to get to know even more experts in the fields of uh, fish health. That's really interesting. I mean, I would definitely agree that it's cool um, in the sense that you're in quite a senior position and you have this opportunity. You're kind of a confluence, aren't you, of research and how you can influence research and the direction of where things go. So it sounds like it could be a really rewarding position. Um, exactly. Yeah, it's it's not. I mean, sometimes I complain about things, and then I think by volunteering somewhat for for positions like this, and every scientist needs to do it, otherwise the system wouldn't work. But you can actually make a bit of a difference and have an impact. So I think that is important. Definitely. Um, now let's talk about some of your research. You're developing a challenge model for jellyfish and salmon, but this research is difficult. Can you take us through that project and what challenges there are? Oh, yeah, this this project, I really like it. It's uh, it's very challenging, but that makes it very interesting. Probably. So jellyfish, um, I don't know if you've ever gone for a swim and you've been stung by a jellyfish, but it, it can hurt. Um, I've, I've, I've known people who have had very bad stings from jellyfish. So yeah, second hand, not first time, <laughs> but I appreciate it's horrible. Yeah. So the same actually happens to fish. And although they have a layer of, uh, of scales on their skin, they do have their gills that are quite vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And fish breathe by uh, having water going through the gills. So you can imagine if like tentacles or very small jellyfish touch that, actually it causes damage to the cells of the gills. And uh, oxygen, the gills is how fish breathe. So oxygen exchange takes place there. So there, it's a very... Um, very thin layer of cells between the blood vessels of the fish and the outside world. So when jellyfish sting there, um, it can really damage the gills. Mm -hmm. So that then has all kinds of effects on the fish. Um, They don't breathe as well. They also use the gills for um, uh, to get rid of um, uh, things like nitrogen and, Mm. and their um, stuff that, that we, as humans pee out, uh, uh, fish do that through their gills. Uh, so yeah, um, they, they need those gills to work. And if they get a lot of uh, jellyfish um, in there, uh, they don't work anymore. However, the problem with jellyfish is that um, w- when they're big, you somewhat see them in the water, but they are still like you can look through them, right? Mm-hmm. So when they're small, you can imagine if you're a salmon farmer, you have no idea that there is, I don't know, a million of these small jellyfish under your pen because you just don't see them. The water is moving a little bit. Not a chance that you'll see them. But then suddenly your fish are starting to behave a little bit weird and the gills are, if you look at the gills, they, they look damaged. So how, how do you know, like, how long ago were the jellyfish there? Was this even a problem of jellyfish? How long does it take for them to get better again? Um, all of this we don't know and like in the last I would say three or four years the salmon industry has really suffered from these jellyfish species and they think actually it's already been going on for years they just didn't realize but something has made it worse and maybe there are more jellyfish we don't know that really because you can't really monitor these things Um, but so yeah it's the number one 
problem, health problem uh, of, uh, of, of farmed salmon in Scotland today. Uh, so it's causing a lot of mortality, a lot of uh, loss in growth. And then, of course, it's affecting the welfare of these salmon too. So it's obvious we need to understand better how to work with this yeah. and, and how, the, how this works, how they affect the gills. But, but how, how do you actually do that? Because um, if you want to put some, you would learn this from a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. But if you want to put some fish and some jellyfish together, you need to have those jellyfish. You can't just say, oh, on that day, we'll catch some jellyfish from the ocean and then we'll put them with the fish because uh, they may not be there because you don't know when they're going to be there in large enough quantities for you to be useful. Mm -hmm. So that means the only other option there is, is to actually culture these jellyfish. And that's a whole new, different biological system that is quite challenging to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but we collaborate with some people in Plymouth who are able to uh, culture jellyfish. Okay. And then I must add, say there is one species of jellyfish that we work with, but there are many, many more with different types of venom. So it's like a whole complicated system, but you have to start somewhere, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we're basically raising these jellyfish and then putting them together with fish and, yeah, investigating mm -hmm. what has happened what is happening to the fish it's it's really basic knowledge but that isn't there yet so um we're doing really really interesting research i would say that's really interesting one question i had is um with climate change obviously progressing quite quickly now um are warming seas having an impact on the numbers of jellyfish is that something that's affecting them or is it not related at all possibly um i have not seen evidence that that is really the case there is there are a lot of different thoughts as far as i can see why there are uh, more jellyfish and even if there are more jellyfish and mm -hmm. so it could indeed be climate change it could be that we have been overfishing our fish for ages and because of that the ecosystem in the ocean gets disrupted and now mm -hmm. we're seeing an effect of that in the amount of jellyfish that are not being controlled by their natural um, predators it could be that um, i don't know something with el nino el nina effects um, don't know exactly how it worked, but there are many, many rumors. It could well be that uh, jellyfish are affected by climate change and warming oceans, but um, I'd say we don't really know. And then, yeah, there is there is the jellyfish in general, but then sometimes they get to a certain salmon pen, but not to a neighboring salmon pen. So mm -hmm. also on a smaller scale, there is very little knowledge actually why they are there and why they are not somewhere else because these jellyfish can actually move a little bit themselves. So they move with currents, but they have an ability to, to move a little bit themselves. So it's not just currents that mm -hmm. drive where they are. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like there's so many variables and so many unknowns that you're kind of like, this is kind of pioneering research. Would you agree with that statement? It's very much. Yeah. And yeah. We, in our uh, research, we're focusing very much on the jellyfish is there, what does it do to the fish? But mm -hmm. there is a lot of research uh, starting up in the UK at the moment where they're also working on, like, why are the jellyfish where they are? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I see. yeah. That's interesting. Well, yeah. Well, it's a fascinating area. Um, 
and I believe SRUC are offering some CPD and academic options so students and professionals can learn more about aquaculture. Could you tell us a bit more about those? Yeah, definitely. Um, at SRUC, we do have several options to engage with uh, aquaculture. So um, we're starting up uh, a fat school, as, as you may probably have in another podcast as well. So that will mm -hmm. start this September. And aquaculture is going to be part of the curriculum. And different to another vet school, it's not going to be its own little subject, but it's going to be integrated in all the different subjects. So, for example, if we're talking about husbandry, then we're talking about husbandry of cows, husbandry of sheep, but also husbandry of fish. And so aquaculture is going to be an integrated part of that. And mm -hmm. we, yeah, we really hope it's a, it's a way for students who are vet students who are interested in a career in aquaculture to... Um, really get a lot of uh, basic knowledge in their in their first years already. Mm -hmm. So a second option is an MRS, that's a mm -hmm. Master of Research. Uh, we're delivering that uh, here in Inverness. It's an MRS in zoonosis and aquaculture, uh, sorry, zoonosis and epidemiology. And you can do it as a one year or as a two year. Um, two year would then be part-time study. Mm -hmm. uh, you get a lot of theory on epidemiology. But then there are two projects in which you can choose your own subjects. And so you can choose to do aquaculture subjects. And then you basically make it an aquaculture uh, MRS. Mm -hmm. and, and the things you can do in these subjects are lab related or um, yeah, epidemiology related with a little bit of statistics and, uh, and quantitative skills. That's so further, we have, um, let me see, we have some CPD courses. Mm -hmm. So uh, we do one in data skills, and this is mainly meant for people already working in industry that are just wanting to improve their data skills a little. Um, in the aquaculture industry, people are having access to a lot of data, but usually have not well, obviously don't have the same skills as we have because they have other expertises, mm -hmm. but it would really help them to, to look in some trends. So we're having a CPD course that can help with that. Mm -hmm. And then um, Gill Health um, is, is an area of my expertise and we're looking into, um, or we're currently developing a course that will be ready sometime later this year where we're uh, standardizing um, Gill Health abnormalities. Um, we're doing that with um, veterinarians in the industry mm -hmm. and yeah, tr see if we can standardize it a little bit so that people are speaking about the same thing when they mean the same thing. That's, That's very exciting. And then there is a third um, CPD option for students. I suppose it's not really CPD, but for master level uh, educated people mm -hmm. who just want an introduction into aquaculture. And I think what that looks like is um, very similar to the subjects that are being taught in the vet school, mm -hmm. but then all the aquaculture components kind of loop together. That's interesting. So coming back to the students, um, so it's being baked into modules and learning for veterinary students. Um, so what could those students do um, with those modules? What, what career paths could they end up pursuing? You know, is, are there pathways they could take? And what kind of different sort of options would they give them compared to a standard course? Where could they end up? 
Uh, do you mean for the MRES or for the vet school? Oh, um, well, let's say for initially for the MRES and secondly for the vet school. Okay. Yeah, so it would, uh, well, you could become a researcher like me, but mm -hmm. um, I would say aqu aquaculture is is the main food export product of uh, uh, of the UK. So it's, it's quite big. So there is a lot of uh, jobs that uh, really need aquaculture expertise. So if you have yeah, interest in the sector, I would say you really have an advantage if you already can demonstrate that you have a background in aquaculture. Sure. No, it's interesting. Um, okay. So one of your areas of specialization, as we've covered already, is gill health. And you've been doing a lot in that area recently. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I Most of my... Uh, my salmon research actually has something to do with gill health. So we are in the middle of um, a gill health project that we just got more, a little bit more funding to extend it a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And we started that six years ago when there was really not that much known about gill health. It was, it was an emerging problem. It's, it's very well established by now. So we've, looked, we've collected quite a lot of data and looking, looked into risk factors for gill disease. So if you're wanting to mitigate a problem, you don't necessarily always have to know all the ins and outs, but if you want to start somewhere, but already want to have a bit of an impact, you can try to find associations. Um, for example, we found that um, jellyfish uh, were related to um, gill health problems. And then you can already see, oh, so jellyfish are a risk factor. Maybe I can mitigate that somehow. Mm -hmm. So we, we've been looking at management um, of, uh, of salmon and, and trying to find out different risk factors. We've also looked at biomarkers, so ways to identify um, gill problems. We've looked at prevalence. And then uh, we've made some decision support tools that... Um, yeah, farmers can help to make decisions. For example, on sample size, because um, salmon are uh, produced in pens and uh, then the pens are within the site. So you have multiple pens in the same sites and then you have fish in a pen. But you can imagine if there is a disease that fish inside a pen are similar to one another than fish in different pens because mm -hmm. they're closer to each other. So now if you think about sample size, um, statistically, we can estimate what is a good sample size, but let's say that's 10. Would that then be 10 fish from one pen or do I take 10 pens and then one fish out of each pen, right? Mm -hmm. So you can imagine, and because there is this relation of fish being similar in the same pen, it's not a, it's not a relation that is directly. So it doesn't, it does make a difference whether you take one fish out of every pen or 10 fish out of the same pen. Mm -hmm. So we're, we've made a decision support tool that can help with that. Mm -hmm. uh, we've also done some AI uh, stuff where we've looked into um, diagnosing gills a little bit better uh -huh. to support um, histopathologists uh, diagnosing gills. Very interesting projects actually. And I've got a small grant now to look into commercialization of that, um, which is very exciting. And then, of course, there are the jellyfish challenges that also have lots to do with gill health, but we discussed that already. 
It's so interesting, um, particularly the uh, point you mentioned about AI, because I mean, that's coming into so many areas just now, not just computers and robotics, and has applications way beyond what you've just detailed. Um, do you mind if I ask, what else have you got coming up? Oh, it's like endless. I, <laughs> I don't know how I can keep up with myself sometimes. But um, I'll tell you about, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get some other work coming, but I don't want to uh, uh, <laughs> jeopardize the chances of actually winning that grant by talking about it too much. But another project that I'm quite keen on is uh, a European project where we're working mm -hmm. together with Norway and Ireland into developing uh, decision support tools. Uh, and that's really based on early warning for mortality. Mm -hmm. So you have like mortality patterns. Sometimes it's a bit higher, sometimes it's a bit lower. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to, we are developing algorithms to try to predict that and then also make decision support tools. And as part of that, we're doing a lot of um, uh, social science, which is uh, an interesting field for a, for a researcher like me, who is very quantitative to be involved in. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we're doing is uh, questionnaires where we're trying to figure out if um, a traffic light system um, is a suitable way to, uh, to show in decision support tools whether mortality is high or low. Because you can imagine, we all think rats is bad, whereas sometimes high mortality isn't necessarily bad, but it's because of some obvious reasons. So is that the right association? So you're getting mm -hmm. a little bit into the psychology of people actually using these decision support tools. It's extremely fascinating. Um, yeah, but it's, uh, and it's a lot of fun too, to, I like quantitative stuff. So to, to make those models and to think about uh, the data, and it's nice to do that with um, with our neighboring countries, uh, other big salmon farmers, and to to see how things with data go in their countries, and to see how our, our yeah our stakeholders react to certain things. So that's very interesting. I do a little bit of work on offshore salmon farming. Uh -huh. Do a little bit of work on cost effectiveness of mitigation measures. Um, and then I have some PhD students, uh, one working with gill microbiome, uh, one working with molecular epidemiology of amoebic gill disease, uh, which is one of the uh, problems for the gills. Mm -hmm. So yeah, lots, lots on the go. Definitely not bored. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, your schedule doesn't exactly speak of someone who's tired by their work. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. Okay, well, Aneta, thank you very much for taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule today. It's been a really enlightening chat, and one I'm sure anyone with a passing interest in aquaculture, uh, potential students and regular listeners will find really compelling. Um, if you'd like to learn more about the NRES and zoonosis and epidemiology, there will be a link in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode, and thanks very much for listening. <laughs>